0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Fallo hit a two iron on the green to about 20 feet. Crowd went berserk. Vaughn hit a four wood to about eight foot. Nobody clapped. And he turned around and said, what is this? This is the death in the family. You guys handcuffed. So my big deal is strike the match. And if you think about that, if you think about that, it's done with gusto, but you can do it gracefully. Okay, so striking the match is that. It's not a chunk. It's not a knife across the ground. It's not a flood.
0: One, two, three, four.
1: a beautiful day on the Victor Bravo golf course. The sun is shining, and the birds are about, and there's a sudden pause
0: in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. Fifteenth hole, his drive is recommended. <laughs> is he a caveman? Because it suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> So every Golf. golfing professional, you know, every head professional, has. Uh, there's something about them. There's something that, you know, um, the head pro where I play, guy called Danny Vera, he is a ball-striking legend. Everyone says ball-striking legend. Um, at Manly Golf Club, which is 15Ks south of Long Reef, the pro is Phil Baird. His Instagram page is... Short game wizard, Feel bad in <laughs> is that you? Are you the sh- like? Are you the Harry Potter of short game? I'm the short game
2: guru, short game wizard, and i and don't know why you're laughing at me because you know that that's how it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you've you've named yourself the short game <laughs> like you know.
2: Yeah, well, not... well, my thing is short game, and I do a lot of short game teaching. And I've kind of a, got a bit of a reputation for myself over the years for being good around the greens. I've never been a long hitter of the ball like yourself, but <laughs> what I can do better than most, and most pros in Sydney, is I can chip and putt.
0: Right. So I, I want to get to the secret of the chipping and putting because mm-hmm. that's that is one of the hardest things yeah. of the game. I'm in your office. It's it's gee whiz. How would how would I know how I will describe it? How would you describe it?
2: uh it's very golfy it is um it's messy it is a um it is my office it's the headquarters the engine room it's the lunch office and it's also my <laughs> it's also my um my pride and joy i've got my hickory clubs here i've got the lost and found i've got a lot of uh clubs from different eras and i'm i am just a look you've said it before i'm a golf nut I'm a bit of a dag and i like uh tinkering with with old clubs so i've got about three or four bags of clubs here and that's what I uh, like to look
0: at. Okay, so if you could uh, sort of run that all down to one word, what would the one word be? It's a mess. Okay,
2: <laughs> it's, okay. The Brookvale Bazaar has moved to my to my office.
0: Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. But it's amazing. It's.
2: I'll, a, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it.
0: Yeah, it's. But it's a beautiful. What, what it is, if I can, I think Phil, you just did a great job describing it. It is a beautiful mess, and there are literally golf clubs everywhere. And there's brand new golf clubs. There's obviously clubs in for repair. There's a lot of photographs and there's a stack of hickory. So you're obviously a keen holder of history. Yes. So how important is it for us, let's just start here, how important is it for us to remember where we've been in the game of golf as opposed to becoming Bryson DeChambeau and flogging balls 400 metres?
2: You know what, thank you for asking. I think it's a great question. I did listen to your podcast last night with Richard Mers, and I was fortunate enough to grow up in that uh, around the same similar era to to Richard, where that breed of pro Dave Mer, you know the the, the Mercer, uh, you know pro the, the guy that stays at the club head pro for forty odd years, they just love the game, and I think it was infectious that uh, the club member and all of their students picked it up, and I think that's you know they're great ambassadors for us for the game, and uh, Dave was a great advocate of the history, and I guess I picked that up. So here at Manly um we have a lot a lot of it's a hundred year old club we have a lot of history here and i'm one of the few people that are actually interested in uh, the archives and some really cool things about manly you know if you if you allow me to talk about manly for a moment is we've had we've had four assistant pros here between the uh, between the mid-20s to 40s that went on to become australian open champions. so um yeah, a lot of history here
0: okay when was the last one just
2: the last one was Aussie Pickworth in 1954. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I thought that was you were going to say in uh, 2011 we no. had, uh, no. no. No, Aussie Pickworth, yeah.
2: 1952.
0: What about your playing history? So, like, for you, was it always, were you always going to be a teaching professional as opposed to a playing professional? You, I mean, you would have obviously bit, had.
2: Bit, bit of both. I finished my time uh, at Colorado Golf Club with David Mercer, and I had a sabbatical year and uh, my, so my first year out of, um, out of my trainership, I went to Europe, caddied for an Aussie called Vaughan Summers, who was a yeah. great player. Um, he's a fellow that played 12 British Opens and very good player. Caddied for him for a year. And for me, um, to see Ballesteros, um, all of those guys from that era, um, still playing, and watching them week in, week out. Really, you know, I, I learned. I learned more in a year then that I've learned in, you know, through my whole traineeship. Obviously, just seeing what they, what these guys do day in, day out.
0: And so, what do they do, or what did they do?
2: They're really routine orientated. Um, these days, it's a power game. It's just, it's just the trampoline face driver and two, two you know, two feet off the ground. Back then, it was more about. Um, there were guys on the world stage that were small men that just. They just hit it down the fairway, hit it on the green, no frills, but they never shot over par. Just brilliant um, golfers. They could hit shots. They could hit it low into the, into the breeze. They could uh, turn the ball both ways. Whatever shot was, re- uh, was required. They can just do it on call, and that's what really. Um
0: but don't they? Don't the you know the, the best in the world? Aren't they still doing that?
2: They are, but the golf ball these day, the, the modern day golf ball goes so far, and it actually doesn't move through the ball right to left or left to right anywhere near as it used to. Because through the, the air, is, you the mean? The ball is different. Yes. Yeah. You don't bend it like you used to.
0: Right. And do you think that's a shame that it's no longer?
2: Oh no! I think the game's evolved. We 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 love it. We love we love it. We love it. it is it is what it is now, and they're obviously hitting the ball a lot further. And, uh, you know, when you know when you and I were growing up watching Greg Norman, he was the longest and straightest on the planet for for a couple of decades. He was 20 or 30 yards per, past everybody. That was his advantage, and it was 300 yards plus. Now, they're all hitting at 300. Yeah. But then you get a Bryson who can hit at nearly 400. So, yeah. you know, it's just uh, the, the game still is quite amazing. However, the records haven't really... Been broken. Some of the records set in the uh, in the um, in the '60s still stand.
0: Mm. When you were caddying for Vaughan Summers, did you caddy for him in a British Open? I did. I actually caddied for him
2: at Muirfield, which was unreal. It was incredible. It was uh, four weeks prior he played uh, Nick Faldo in the British Match Play and beat him, which was uh, Vaughan which Summers. Went, yeah, Vaughan Summers beat him, and in the, in the, in the, he was like he was number one seed. Um, Faldo, and Vaughan was the last seed at 40, and he drew him through... And were you on the back? I was on the bag. <laughs> so, okay, what was that like? That was a better experience, okay? And I really do want to talk about that. That was, that was, that was, that was, that was, that was kind of funny.
0: So what was Faldo like then? So, And what year was it?
2: Okay. It was, set the scene, Phil, okay, I'm Jesus! Set, I'm going to set the scene. Okay, so it was in, it was in, uh, Wales and St Pierre Chepstow. Uh, it was a great trip. We drove up from London. And he had a mate of his called Butch who followed us up in his Porsche, didn't know what his angle was, but it, it was fine. It, it did reveal itself in the coming days. So what happened is he drew Fallow first hang, round. hang on,
0: Butch? Is his mate Butch is his mate. Vaughn's mate.
2: Yeah, Butch is his mate. Vaughan's he, mate
0: in the Porsche. Yeah, He's he, just followed and, him up.
2: Yeah, and he's a heavy gambler who owns betting halls. Right? He, he oh, owns.
0: he's not his own bookie, is he? No,
2: well, he could have been. So <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to that. Okay, sorry. So, so what happened is we get up there, and a lot of the players was going, "Oh, bad, Vaughnie, bad luck. You've drawn foul." He says, oh, "No worries. Can't can't stand the bloke. So uh, let's see how we go." Vaughan was seven under par after eleven holes and four up. It was just one of those one of those magic days where. I witnessed world class golf, and he played amazing. Now, um, thirteen, fourteen, Faldo birdie to get back in the match, and there was a lot of um, Welsh and English following Faldo. And um, we got to the got to the sixteenth hole, and he was the, the match was still alive. Faldo hit a two iron on the green to about twenty feet. Crowder went berserk. Varni hit a forward to about eight foot. Nobody clapped, and he turned around and said, "What is this? This is a death in the family. You guys handcuffed." And that's kind of the character that he was. Uh, so, but, and so,
0: Right, so what, so what what? was your job on the bat? Were you just carrying the bag? Were you looping or were you, like, I, are you... Are you actively...
2: I'm actually giving him the artiges and if he said to me, what do you think, six or seven, I've got to, I've got to really make sure that I make that right decision because there were a couple of times where I, I, I gave him a, a, a club and he, that he'd hit long and then next minute I'm, I'm ducking for cover, so... Um, he was a bit of a fiery unit and um, but that was just a magic moment um to beat faldo
0: and and so what did faldo then to but what 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 was faldo's demeanor like was he, uh, he
2: was he was very serious um after the match it was like someone stole his chocolates he he, he, he had to <laughs> pretty much run across the ground to get a handshake and uh, and and, and he's a guy that was um one of the i think he might have been british amateur champion years prior he'd taken a year or two off rebuilt his swing with um, david ledbetter and we're seeing this new product sure enough four weeks later he wins his first british open at millfield and uh, and i was there and, uh, and 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 just to set the scene it was cold it was windy and it was wet roger davis should have won it and he um just fell over uh, on the uh he bagged 16 17 to to pretty much hand it. faldo had made 18 straight pars the last day and the rest is history that was the start of his um major major okay game. And so
0: you were on the bag that day as well
2: i was on the bag for the first two rounds we missed the cut by one. Oh, okay but i did go out and watch that last round uh in the rain and um it was amazing it was just it, and it was awesome being an australian and having Roger Davis there in the mix with, you know, with, with with a couple of holes to go.
0: Okay, so would you have tried to pre-qualify or anything? Like you were a professional golfer at the time? Yes, yep. So did you try and pre-qualify for that?
2: I did, I did. And I was lucky enough to draw a course called North Berwick, which is a very famous um, course uh, in Ghislaine. And I was with Craig Perry, Peter O'Malley, Frank Nobolo and um, Peter Fowler all at the same course. The only one, only, only guy to get in was Nobolo and Parry. Paz got in in the dark in a playoff. Uh, O'Malley actually caddied for him in the tournament and it was just oh, it was awesome. It was just the fact that one of the Aussies um, you know got in. And, and looking back, we were all twenty one back then. So, you know, Parry and Parry and, and, and O'Malley well, they were twenty one. They'd already won on tour. Paz had just won the Canadian PGA and when I look back, you know, those guys were so good at that at such a young age. To be playing in Europe at twenty-one.
0: Okay. Did you know at that point that you probably wouldn't? Absolutely. Right. And so, what? What was that? And so, I'm asking in terms but, of. But
2: not. But, but I, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't have the de- defeatist attitude, I mean, I then, a year later, came back and played for four years full time and played a few events with those guys. But uh, and you know, I, I made a few cuts. So I was very good at pre qualifying, but. You know, I, I was never going to get to that level. Mm. They're at another level that I, that I you know, that
0: I dreamt Yeah, about. I, I suppose what what the the perspective that I'm asking from is is that of the amateur golfer, who, say playing off 14, mm. and for them it might the the goal might be to get to single figures, and yep. they some somehow they 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 want to get to single figures but they probably they might believe in their heart that they'll never get to single figures mm. do you know what I mean was sure. it sort of was it that for you was, was that how it worked
2: uh, 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 a little bit yeah I and mean, if you when, if- when, when when you see when you see I mean for me to see world class players week in week out on the range and just go wow these guys just landed into a blanket from 200 yards this is mm. It, it, it was amazing, and of course, Greg Norman was playing at the top of his game at that time, and seriously, like a machine, like a, like watching Iron Byron. It was quite quite remarkable.
0: Okay, what about the caddying experience? Was that caddying was all rewarding? time that
2: yeah. was just the <laughs> it was best. All time. We, 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 we were you know we were out every night for the whole year at a different town. So you're a different town. I'm oh,
0: going out to like disco it, dancing. Just
2: going out, yeah. yeah. It was just like I didn't have to get up and. Uh, you know, the, the guy that was really serious was uh, who I stayed with for the first two weeks on tour was Steve Williams. He was getting for um, Baker Finch at the time, and he was a serious pro. He would do. He would. He would go back to the room. He'd be studying yardage books. He'd be looking at green complexes. He had a yardage book that needed. It was like a Gregory's guide. It was ridiculous, he, and only he understood it. He was so efficient, whereas I felt like I was a bag carrier, and and and, and we'd buy a we'd buy a yardage book off the caddies for ten pound and. And you just did your best to not, you know, not, not, not give your uh, your, your player a, uh, a mystery. So, <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, mate. Sorry. Hey, it did happen.
0: Yeah, of course it happened. Well, if you're out every night, of course it happened. So Steve Williams, then that's that's really interesting. Mm. Brought a profe- highly professional attitude to caddying, and the results, obviously, yeah, um, showed. He, he,
2: yeah, he was. He was actually a scratch marker himself. Um, you know, in his early twenties, he was a scratch marker from New Zealand. I had a game with him uh, at Kalara many, many years ago, and uh, he he could really hit it, but he never wanted to pursue golf. And you know, he got he got um, he, he got on, he got on the bag of Norman and uh, and Baker Finch at a young age, and that just sort of set him, you know, set the set the pathway to eventually uh, looping for the Great Tiger.
0: Tiger, yeah. Around here, I mean, this place is. Um, if we if we run the mess theme, it is littered with hickory golf clubs. That's it. And you're actually the pest who got me, who sucked me into getting hickories. What 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 is the fascination with with the hickories? Okay,
2: so I got invited to I got invited to um to to the, uh, the Australian Hickory Open a bunch of years ago, and uh, and I went along. now. this is little um, like how long ago? Oh, this was about seven years ago. And I went along, and here's a, uh, a group of enthusiasts, all wearing plus fours, bow ties, <laughs> uh, the Ben Hogan cap, and they are playing with 1920 wooden shafted clubs. And I'm like, "Wow, this is uh, this is pretty cool." And when I hit hang on,
0: a- hang on, did part of you go? Well, part of, obviously part of you went. This is pretty cool. Did another part of you go? Whoa, Not at this all. This is fairly. No,
2: no, I actually loved it. I fell in love with it from the minute I saw the whole thing because. It's a little bit like Start of origin. You put on that jersey and you just change, right? When you put the bow tie on the plus fours, that sets the tone. The
0: long sleeve business the shirt. The
2: whole long sleeve business shirt and the bow tie, or whatever, it sets the tone and the um, and the demeanor to play Hickory golf, which, in my opinion, is a loose, oily, uh, three quarter tempo kind of kind of uh, deal that that uh, feels so pleasing when you middle it. I, I can't tell you. That's why the old clubs are fantastic,
0: mm. but when you don't middle them, I mean, well, so like, um,
2: if you miss hit, a, if you miss hit a long iron or a mid iron, it, it's like you've hit a house brick. Your whole body <laughs> goes into shock.
0: It's it's awful. Right. So so that because lots of people they just go, what's the point? You get to play golf once a week. Why would you waste? it you know, at best, twice a week. Why would you waste your special golfing time? Piss farting around with something that's like hitting a house brick. Probably half the time.
2: You know what? You've got to really love it, and I really love it. And for me, this takes you back to your roots. I can't compete against the young tour players because they hit it hundred yards past me off the tee. But I, but I can compete with um, with really good golfers that play Hickory because we've we, we've come back to a level where we all hit at the same distance. And um, you cannot buy a set that works. You've got to you've got to try a hundred clubs to find six that kind of work okay every club's got its own personality they're not frequency match shafts like the new callaway or latest and greatest they are got a mind of their own so that's the, that's the fun of it is actually putting together a six or eight piece set that kind of go from a to b and there's no there's no measuring devices there you just eyeball it you go yeah it's, it's kind of it looks like about a batter about a hundred
0: and... Okay, this is, oh, you mean from measuring?
2: 140 metre clubs, so therefore it's probably a an X, Y, Z. Mm.
0: So you got to feel you got to feel the distance. Yeah, it feels like an eight iron. Yeah. Yeah, right.
2: And on that note, I, I remember having a conversation with Kel Nagle who said that, you know, when he won his British Open, he didn't use yardages. I used to just feel the distance. So he would walk up to the ball and think, yeah, it's about a five iron. It was all eyeballed. And it wasn't until Nicholas came out in the uh, late '60s, early '70s, with a wheel, where he started actually measuring the distance. So, what do you mean the wheel? A yardage wheel, where they measured the golf course. So,
0: oh, so he would come out prior. He would come with out prior,
2: prior with his caddy and put together his yardage book. So, but back in the back in the early days, it it was eyeballed. The distances were eyeballed. Which, and, is, which is amazing.
0: Okay, and so that's the way that you, when you play your hickories, that's, that's what you're
2: how doing. you play hickory golf. Right. Yeah. You look at it, and you go, "Yep, it's a little mashy, it's the, a little
0: grassy." The yeah. So, how many hickories do you have now?
2: Um, I have in in my playing set. I have a set of nine nine clubs, which is uh, I've got uh, I've got uh, seven irons, two woods, and a putter.
0: So okay. So that's ten. But and but I know you've just because as I walked in, you just nearly jumped on me saying, "Look at these bad boys! I've just got a new set." Just talk me through what they are.
2: Yeah, okay, so over the years I've collected a bunch of hickories and, like I said, none of them match, none of them, uh, you know, I've got so many different so many different hickories, that s- some of them work, some of them don't, but I've just found, a, just stumbled upon a set of matching irons.
0: Okay, stumbled where?
2: Through a fellow um, uh, lover of hickory golf who actually knows a little bit about, uh, you know, club making, and he had a couple of irons, a couple of sets of irons for sale. Mm-hmm. And I tried a set and went, wow, these feel pretty good. Had to tinker with them to um, to get them right for me.
0: And what dark web did you find these on? Was, there, was it an internet thing or like no, no, does no, this no, guy live in a purely, cave? Is he a purely, hobbit? Is he-
2: purely word of mouth through a friend who says, if Phil, if you're going to play hickory golf, you've got to get yourself a decent set of irons because I've always um, pretty much had crap gear and, um, and relied on my short game only. To, to put a score together with, with the hickories.
0: Okay, so now you've got a, the just the irons in you or new Yep,
2: just the irons. So I've got a set of matching irons and I've only used them once mm. and it was really exciting that they all kind of went, they all felt the same. So it's exciting times. I think the... How, it, how often do you get to use them? Not often enough. I'll be honest with you, if I pl- if I use them twice a month, uh, it would be... A good oh, okay. A, well, that a, seems a, like a lot. Uh, it is, but I, I just don't... Know. I mean, we're, we're all busy... And I've got, I've got a busy, I've got a busy life here at the club, but um, I, you know, if I could, I would play more because it really is satisfying.
0: Okay, well, the Australian Championships are coming up at Long Reef in September. September, yeah. So, will you train for those? Will you?
2: I'm oh, definitely definitely going to train for that. And um, um, one thing you may not know, we have the Australian uh, Hickory foursomes the day before mm. here at Manly Golf Club. Hey, do you? So, we're
0: going to have a bit of a local oh, foursomes. Yeah, little little uh, local. Do so you need a partner? Indeed. So, uh, how do the foursomes work again? That's the one where you uh, alternate all, it, shots. It's
2: alternate shots, and you've got to agree on the first team. No apologies, and uh, you just take what you take what you dealt with. And who
0: are you going to partner with for that? Haven't um, you need a bomber?
2: Oh uh, yeah, I, I could need a bomber, but I need somebody that can actually, um, you know, just advance the ball forward. You're wiping hopefully. me, aren't you? Already? No, no just no, no, politely no.
0: wiping. No, oh my god, <laughs> I've been I, dropped from a few things lately. No,
2: no, no. Look, look, you, you did pull a few shanks out last time <laughs> we, we got together. But, Not with um, the hickories. Yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's exciting. So, I'm I'm a part of this part of this little outfit called the Australian Golf Heritage Society, and this year we actually have about twelve to fourteen events on our. On our um, schedule, and it's uh, it's on the Golf New South Wales website. So f- for those viewers out there that are interested in um, actually, you know, going back in time, putting on the bow tie and or a long sleeve shirt and a vest and and, and having a crack, um, you can come along to any of these events. We've got high clubs, the hire, that's, we've got yeah, we got the high hickory sets, and um, just give it a, give it a crack. See 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 if you like the game.
0: Okay, so the best way to do that, hire a set at an event, to find the events, say, I know, I know Queensland has a lot of things. Lot, so every state will have their own golfing, just go to the main governing body or That's the it. historical That's
2: body. It. You can you can either go to Golfing New South Wales, it's all there, or you can go to the Australian Golf Heritage Society website. And, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And I'm really keen to grow the game. I'm, I'm really keen to find a few more pros and get the pros into it because um, – you know, I think it just restores your, your faith in the game and uh, it's, it's, it's awesome.
0: And is there a hickory tip you could give that would make sense? Yeah. I mean, because you're not like, for instance... Yeah, I, I, the, the, number I remember- one,
2: the number one tip I say is swing with ease. I think you've got to, you've got to um, if, 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 if you think of an Ernie Els or you think of a uh, Sammy Sneed, they both have that beautiful oily kind of tempo. That's the way to play hickory golf. It's not about jumping all over it with you know, two two feet off the ground. Um, you are talking about 1920 equipment um, that needs to be um, you know just you kind of got, to, got to, kind of got to caress it. Mm. I, don't, I don't think it's a it's, it's a it's a you know I think the first time you and I had a game, you <laughs> might have snapped What's a driver that? in half. You went for the Olympic
0: manoeuvre if I remember right. You know, it gave the driver the home leg. Yeah. Uh, and, uh... To be fair, <laughs> no, it was terrible. It's actually it was actually one of the worst experiences. I think it was very damaging. Yeah. Because it's one of those things where it you know like the, the older stuff it actually is beautiful and if you have an appreciation of the history of things, then to snap it because there's, there's really no coming back from. You can come back if your head flies off, from it separates from the shaft. But not if it snaps at the head. Oh, that's that's over. Once it snaps, so I killed one.
2: Yeah. Once, once it snapped, it's all over by the shouting. But on but on that note, as far as the clubs go, um, I think you and I one thing we have in common: we love to build, we love to tinker and create and uh, make things. And uh, I got a great tip from you a year or so ago about leather grips. And mm. you know, how do we how do we acquire oh, this it's leather? So I used to go to a um, leather broker in town, you know, 10 years ago and just get scrap, scrap leather and I would cut off strips of, uh, you know, one and, a, one and a quarter inch strips of leather and wrap them onto the hickories as, you know, uh, as, as my grip. And then I learned from you that the council cleanups, <laughs> those beautiful leather couches on the corners are mm. really, really mm. good, uh, it's gold. really good finds. Just and, to be fair, uh, I
0: learned it from my brother.
2: Yeah, Cam, yeah, Cam's a leather bandit as well. And uh, I think the three of us have a permanent Stanley knife in the, uh, <coughs> in the dashboard no, no, of
0: the car. No, no, I've actually stopped doing it. Oh, no, it.
2: no, I've, I've become a little bit serial, so...
0: Mm, okay, well, <laughs> that's good. I, I actually picked up a full couch and put a full couch on the roof of the car, which is a beautiful... I just can't believe what people throw out. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. Is That's the other part about the old golfing equipment that I really, really like is that I can't believe what people... Will throw out in terms of how could you throw out in rubbish chuck out an old ping or how yeah. could you throw out you know a Bruce Devlin wedge or something or so anyway this is so you and I obviously are kindred spirits in this yeah. in this older part of the game before we um, before we go two things um, I'm curious to know what we need to know about the game to keep us in it but and one of those things might be short game so is there a have you got a chipping Anti yipping, chipping, type tip that I think everyone, even secretly, would like to know. Okay,
2: okay. Now, now, now you've touched a very, uh, very, very uh, sensitive point here.
0: Okay, f- first of all, I think we all need to. He's got you're glossing over. You're starting to sweat a bit. It's exciting. Here he yeah, goes.
2: I, I think the first thing is we all need to enjoy the game. We've got to love it. And we've got to enjoy that walk.
0: We'll get to that. Let's let's stop the chipping, yipping.
2: Stop the chipping, yipping. First,
0: what's what's your what's your short game, as the short game whiz? And they can find you on Instagram as the short game whiz.
2: You have to relax. You have to grip the club light. It's got to be a smooth motion. It can't be. It can't cannot be abrupt. And any of the teachings that you can see all the basics online, ball position, what you do with your hands, yada yada yada. And and there's a few different ways. There's there's two or two or three different shots we play. We play a we play a pitch shot, which is a high ball, we play a bump and run, which is using the ground, we play a bunker shot, and we putt. It's really simple. There's four shots you need to, to a common denominator is you've got to have soft hands, you have to be rhythmic. There can be there is no room for an abrupt tempo. Absolutely no room for it. So my big tip is you've got to relax. And if, you, and if you do feel edgy, don't hit the ball until you're ready. So my number one tip when I'm teaching is, look, you know, you, you're allowed to have a practice swing. It's a free rehearsal. So don't hit it until you've, uh, you've made that, that, that beautiful sound where you're striking the match and with, with, with a nice, even length tempo. So my big deal is strike the match. And if you think about that, <laughs> you think about that, it's done with gusto. But you can do it gracefully okay so striking the match is that it's not a chunk it's not a knife across the green knife. it's not a flub it's that beautiful sound where you get the club's bottoming out the bottom of the arc and you go oh how good was that so the sound
0: is really important yeah now. it is important um
2: how bad's the knife how bad is that sound <laughs> when you just knife it across the green
0: how so about the the, the the language that follows the knife.
2: Oh my god! Or the flub where you just lay the divot over the top of the ball. <laughs> <laughs> it's like and it just
0: rolls over like a toupee. Yeah. Yes. So, so what causes that? Full anxiety. Uh, I no, mean, no, no. But in 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 the physicality of the of the golf shot, what causes the toupee? Okay,
2: hands to the toupee. The toupee, which is the flub, which is the divot, the side sod- like, that lays over the ball is where you've got your hands way too far ahead of the ball, which is de-lofting the club, which is engaging the leading edge, and you are going to absolutely dig, dig, dig. So, really good tip for, um, for all club golfers that, that struggle to, um, you know, struggle with this shot is you've got to use the bounce of the club, and, and what the, you just talk to your local pro about the bounce and what the bounce is. It's the sole, the sole of the club is designed to skid. So I often, uh, I actually quite, uh, I, I promote a um, the 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 shaft to be actually quite vertical, pointing at the belly button, not at the left, not at the left side. The more you have the hands forward, the easier it is to chunk the ball. So when you set up to the ball, if you put the club in what we call shelf position we like it's sitting on a shelf. It's vertical. It's not leaning left. It's not leaning right. It's actually pointing at your belly button. What that does to the to the sole of the club is it exposes the trailing edge, and you need to make the the trailing edge needs to hit the ground to <laughs> sweep the turf, strike the match. That's the deal. Right, but if I, <laughs> I
0: don't want to just, see. It. I, I want just to wasn't see, sure if you're stuttering, man. I don't, I don't want, I don't want so- to see it. you see any of your flubs so if i want to spin the ball i want to go i want it want it i want it and then i want the ball to go one two stop i've got to have that i've got to have that you've got to strike the match i know i know i've got to strike the match but i've also got to have the club the the what do you call that thing the shaft forwards i've got to de loft it surely
2: no no don't agree okay so this the spinning of the ball it really is about the quality of contact and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different uh, views out there. I mean, Mickelson, for example, he has the shaft quite vertical. He hasn't got the handle long, long way forward. If you think about it, if you have the if you have the the, the, the your log wedge, for example, hitting hitting the ball, the bottom third of the ball, right? It's setting the ball backwards, right? Now, if you have the ball back in your stance,
0: hang on. So just, sorry, I hear, I, hear, I, I see you speaking, but I I, I stopped listening. Say that again, if I have my lob wedge. Okay, if you, if, you, if you think
2: about a golf ball, you look at a golf ball side on, right, and you watch a pro spin it, right, the leading edge is clipping the ground and it's clipping the bottom of bottom third of the ball, sending it backwards. That's yep. what we call backspin. Yep. Yes. And there's different, there's different um, levels of uh, trajectory, but they're all going to spin. They're all going to spin, so you can hit it in low and spin the hell out of it. You can hit it in high. And spin, spin, spin it to no end. It really, you know, really comes to comes to speed there. But my, my, my big tip for spin is a uh, big tip for spin is that quality of contact. I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, you've really really got to just what we call nipping it, where you just you're not taking a divot and you're not hitting it thin you're just making that that beautiful uh, crisp
0: striking the of match, the match, kind of like sound. I just love strike the match. That's it. I've never heard that before. Really? Never. You grew up with that or?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got taught that as a kid and then, you know, if you think about a bunker shot, it's a different sound. It's a thud.
0: So I'm not striking the match.
2: No. (laughs) If you strike the match in a bunker, you're going to hit it under the lip or into the next postcode. Mm. But a bunker shot Gary player, who was probably the best, he said, "Make a thud-like sound." And what that, what that sort of that message, that sense of the brain is, it needs to be hit with a lot more authority. You've got to give it plenty of, uh, you got to give it give it plenty of sand and plenty of thud, which requires a lot more effort. So there, there it is, thud-like thud. sound. So bunkers. thud
0: from the sand. Yeah. Strike the match around the green. That's it. And putting. Putting. We'll save putting for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. and, uh, and I'm, I'm wondering if this is maybe you know in line with the older golfers giving it away hmm. you know i'm just oh my god jesus Ugh, enough what do they what do they need to experience in golf so they could give it away freely if that makes sense to give it away freely. Well, you know, like I've done everything in golf. Like, what's what's the what's the experience they need to, you know, like we'd all like to have a hole in one, but yeah. for some of us, we won't be lucky enough to uh, or good enough know, to I, have I, that.
2: I think it is, there's there's a, there's you know you could call it a bucket list of things to do. I think um, obviously um, I love to travel. You love to travel. We're both travel guys. And uh, if you're a if you're a club golfer that haven't travelled, you need to get in your car and just head up to the coast or down the coast. And there's so many beautiful. Uh, destinations to um, to play golf. I'm at South Coast right now. It's one of my favorite places to go. And it's, you know, one to two to three, four hours away. And it's best golf, some of the best golf in the world. For uh, for, for, for a very, and that to me, to enjoy golf, you've got to enjoy traveling and tra- and enjoying new experiences. To me, I love a different golf course every day because it's got a different personality. Uh, stimulates and agitates the, the golfing mind. And uh, I love Morning Peninsula. So, uh, you know, golf destinations that you've you got to do, if, if, if you're not a traveller, get into golf travel.
0: Okay. And and given that COVID would appear to be relaxing. I think it's still relaxing. Has,
2: well, yeah, it's still relaxing, so get in the car. and We're, we're a chance to actually get great, around. Great domestic stuff. I mean, I always, uh, there's a lot of people that love to go to Ireland and Scotland and America, which we all do. However, we have got some of the best golf in Australia. Sandbelt and Melbourne, Mornington Peninsula. Seriously,
0: WA, really, yeah, really Adelaide. Way, Adelaide. It's Adelaide, it's amazing. Yeah, so if you had to pick one, pick a, just give us one destination. You've got five days. What's your one place in Australia you're, you're going to go?
2: Mornington Peninsula, hands down.
0: Yep. Yep.
2: And if you're really excited, you've got a few extra days up your sleeve. You jump on a plane down to uh, Bunbury, yeah, Tasmania, and then on the way back, you pop across to King Island, and then you've just had a world class tour, once in a lifetime experience.
0: For under ten which, grand,
2: which would cost you twenty five grand to do that in in Europe, and it could bucket down every day.
0: Yeah,
2: I I've got to be honest with you. I reckon we are so poor, and um, I've got a mate that runs a uh, a company in the states who um, who entertains the top hundred. Um, it's called the Top Hundred Club, and what it is, it's, a, it's it's very wealthy guys that have private planes who travel the world and they tick off the top hundred courses on the uh, world rankings, uh, you know, top list. And they go around and play them. And Barnburgle, King Island, and some of the Melbourne courses are right up there in the top 20. So we right. are
0: really blessed. Okay. And do you have, a, just to finish, a, final, a a single best moment in golf? Like in, what? so 35 years in golf, what's your best? That, you know, like on your tombstone, it'll say August 4th, 1979, here lies...
2: You know what? That's a really tough question because, uh, and it's a real tough, I mean, I could say my first hole one, 1977, in the 14th <laughs> hole, Chats were playing with my father, Yeah, good. 167 metres forward. That was a great moment because that, you know, that uh, that's the only trophy that I still have. And um, and uh, that was a great moment for me to share that with my father. Uh, I, I've been really lucky to play all over the world. I've played Cypress Point. I've played some of the... Most incredible golf courses, but I've got to be honest with you. I think the best times I've had is with uh, on golf tours with my close friends. Um, I've just completed my eleventh visit to Barnburgle to for the annual Birdies Bash uh, shindig, and it's moments like that that actually I really enjoy. That's what I enjoy about golf these days. Uh, I love following it, but I love the fellowship of the game. It's all to, to me. It's about the mateship. I treat game as a, I, I, tr- I treat the game these days as a um, form of relaxation. Uh, it's kind of my church. When I step onto the golf course, I can go into a, into a place that I um, that I can really um, just tune out. So you know, I, I'm a golf lover. I'm a nut, and uh, that's my, that's my take on it.
0: Yeah, and we're lucky to know you. Good on you, Phil. Thanks very much. Phil bad, Manly Golf Club. Yeah, been a pleasure. Thank you. Beautiful.